SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, as always, we have our normal crew. I'm joined by Stefan Chin. I'm very normal. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan, what's your tagline? Uh, Sun's out, gun's out. Sam Schultz, Butte native Sam Schultz is also here. Yeah, here I am. If you would like to know or hear about Butte, just be in the same room as Sam. Mm. (laughs) Email me, I'll tell you about it. (laughs) What's your tagline? Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. And Sari Riley's here, too. Hello. Sari Riley at 60%. Also very average. (laughs) (laughs) And what's your tagline? New tooth. Did you buy a new tooth? I got two fillings today, and my mouth has only now started being unnumb. You are. You're having a day. My whole right side of my face was numb, and so I felt like I was drooling. It was really gross. (laughs) You do sound a little numb. (laughs) Oh, come on. You can't say that to a person. (laughs) Well, if I sound weird on the podcast, it's because my right half of my mouth just barely got feeling. And my name is Hank Green, and I'm here to hang out with my friends and talk about science. My tagline is 
Porsche buddies. Every week around SciShow Tangents, we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory. We're playing to please all of those of you who are listening, and we're also playing for Hank Bucks, because that's all that matters anymore. <laughs> we do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations we've had, that won't go great. So, if any of the rest of the team deems the tangent unworthy, we'll force you to give up one of your Hank Bucks so tangent with care. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem this week from me. So I just get to keep talking. A fungus among us. I'm liking this lichen. A cloister of oysters. So gorgeous. So striking. In my duffel, a truffle. Aunt Belle has chanterelles. These teeny porcini, clamshells and morels. You okay, guys? Instead of mutton, a button. So delish, I'm deceased. Behold, it's a mold and yeast is a beast. By Jiminy, this criminy, I bellow for Portobello. Every one of them's gold, whether white, red, or yellow. Oh, oh no. Pulling me mad. <laughs> <laughs> Sam was so mad at my cute mushroom really poem. Cute. Yeah. So our topic for the day is mushrooms Mushroom. or fungus. Yeah, much yeah. more broad than mushrooms. Yeah. That's my first question. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's a good one. Is what's the difference between a mushroom and a fungi? It's a subset. Yeah. All mushrooms are fungi, but not all fungi are mushrooms. Correct. Yeah. And and the but, nice thing about fungi is this is actually a pretty easy thing to define. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it's a it's one of the kingdoms. Kingdom, yeah. So yeah. domains mm. are the biggest. Mm -hmm. You have archaea, bacteria. And then eukaryotes, eukarya. Yeah. And then under eukaryotes, animals, plants, fungi. It's, yeah. So they're like a whole a whole category of the tree of life. They're yeah. not plants. They're not animals. They're a whole other thing. They're... And I don't I don't actually know what makes them different though. Why like a yeast is different from a protist yeah. or a, you know some other tiny eukaryote. I also didn't know this okay. off the top of my head, but they are. Eukaryotic, which means they have a nucleus inside. I think the two things that set them apart is that they reproduce with spores. Oh. Um, so like the little powdery stuff yeah. in mushrooms or things like that. They all, all fungi reproduce with spores. Is and there a fancy word for that? Sporeogenesis. Yeah. Something like is that. Is that the word? No, oh. I just made that up. <laughs> Sporogenesis oh. is the process of spore formation. Hey, maybe <laughs> I probably knew that. I probably had probably. heard that before. But also like a lot of biology words... It's pretty easy to guess. Are easy, yeah. yeah. Once you get how they do it. And then the other thing that sets them apart? <laughs> their cell walls. So like, like plants, their cells have more structure than an animal cell, but their cell walls specifically have chitin inside. Mm. So they're more rigid. And they don't have chloroplasts, which plants have. Uh, okay. So they're they're heterotrophic. They can't make their own food. This source that I found said it may include 1.5 million species, and we've only named and described about 80,000 of them. Oh, so if you want to start naming and describing some species, <laughs> fungus yeah. is where it's at. Yeah. yeah, it seems like the taxa are very fraught. Like, they're, they're old fungus researchers where they were like, we're going to name all these right. things. Yeah. And then modern fungus researchers are like what the heck were people doing they just looked at all this like black moldy stuff and lumped it together without mm, looking at anything uh, genetic mm -hmm. about it but they're actually a very yeah. different species you don't get like paid if you describe a new fungus no you can name it after yourself that's like what people do well what if i <laughs> name it after sponsors 
So oh, I'll discover messy. and describe a fungus and then you can pay me to mm-hmm. name you after it. Because I don't really, I'm not interested in like doing science if I'm not getting getting that money. Just like the stars and planets yeah. and things like okay. that when people buy those. I named a star after you, except it's a slime mold. I think that's a great idea. Uh, do you have any other questions about fungus? No, I've learned everything about them. Okay. <laughs> Sam knows that's everything it. now. So it's time for One of our panelists has prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real, and the other three panelists have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess which is the true fact. If you do, you get a Hank Buck. If you're tricked, then Stefan will get your Hank Buck. Give me the cash. These days, we use fungi for all kinds of different things, Uh, like yeast is a fungi, so we use it for fermentation. Spaghetti Uh, sauce. Spaghetti sauce. (laughs) As a medication, food, research. All kinds of things. Um, but which of these three things did ancient humans use fungi for? Ooh. Number one, as a pesticide, by spreading a parasitic fungi to their crops that grow inside an insect's body, eating away all the internal tissues until they die. Number two, about 7,000 years ago in what is now Spain, people were using fungus as tinder to start and transport fire. Hmm. Or number three, Ancient Egyptians bound moldy bread to people's nether regions to treat genital warts. <gasps> no, why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not? Uh, so what I'm saying is that using fungus as a crop enhancement is not unheard of okay. in modern society either. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it would be hard to get enough fungus to spread it around so we have, they used it as a pesticide, spreading a parasitic fungi over their crops. We're saying both fungi and fungi here on tangents because both of those are correct pronunciations. Number two, 7,000 years ago in what is now Spain, people were using fungus as tinder to start and transport fire. Or three, ancient Egyptians put moldy bread on people's crotches to treat genital, genital warts. <laughs> the fire one sounds familiar to me, so I'm just going to go with that one. Oh, wow, you're already in. Are you're you done. guessing? Yeah. Oh. oh I'm locked in. Okay. Locked well, in. Sam's locked Does in. that mean we're gonna stop discussing? No, no, discuss all you want. You're just locked in. I just have a good feeling about yeah, that. Sam, Sam's like, <laughs> okay. look, I want to guess and stop thinking about. This. <laughs> I don't want to be involved in a conversation about genital warts. No, so that's I'm not fine. going to be. I'd like to explore genital warts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I explored genital warts too much for while researching this. <laughs> I went to the Wikipedia page and I was not. Uh, expecting the visuals that I got. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're not, they don't shy away. This is no. medicine. This sounds not unlikely to me. Yeah, there's like a whole idea in old medicine where it's like treat the thing with a thing that looks like the thing. That was the worst way to phrase that. No, it makes sense, like, though. warty bread, next warty time, genitals. Yeah, yeah, next time you see a piece of bread, just think, that looks like genitals to me. <laughs> <laughs> I like the visual... Of an yeah. ancient Greece person <laughs> walking around n- with nothing on except some moldy bread. Yeah. They're like, I don't need to put anything on. Yeah, it's slices my of moldy bread. bread and a little bit of water, so it's more comfy. <laughs> what? No, uh, that's like more putting wet socks on. No. I refuse oh. to believe that wet moldy bread is yeah. more comfortable. You than want dry like a fluffy bread. loaf, not a sourdough. Good fluffy bread is a modern invention. <laughs> All it. their bread was hard and crusty, yeah. and you wouldn't want it on your. Parts. And it couldn't be fresh yeah. out of the oven because it had to be moldy. It had to be moldy. It had to be so old, old bread. bread. Yeah. Old hard bread. You might as well have... soak it. No, old hard bread over soaked bread. 100%. Okay. You just have very hard underwear on. You have to <laughs> yeah, walk really carefully. Better than 
soggy <laughs> underwear. I don't know. Mm, I was feeling good about moldy bread until we had the conversation. <laughs> now I think it's too hard. What are you going to do? Uh, there's nothing to gain by knowing too much about something. You yeah. Just yeah. Guess. I'm going to go with moldy bread. Okay, I'm also going to go with Tinder, because huh. that also sounds realistic. Yeah. I don't know. all of us are saying no to pesticide. I feel like no pesticide. Yeah. Stefan, what do we have? Uh, so it was the Tinder. So they found uh, at this site, the La Draga site um, on, on the Iberian Peninsula in mm-hmm. northeastern Spain. is one of the oldest agricultural sediments in that area. And it exists below the water table because it's like wet. It preserved a lot of like soft tissue stuff. And so they have found all these like fungi samples. And there were like six different species. And they're, I think all of them were known to be used as tinder in other like points throughout Mm. history. And they call them tinder fungi. Not super creative, but, you know, it's fine. And they're basically like non-edible species that have a sort of woody structure to them. So they're super flammable. A lot of them seem to be like slow burning. They would catch fire easily and then they would burn for a long time. So you could like Mm -hmm. transport the fire somewhere else or whatever. Probably Mm -hmm. lighter than wood, I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of the species is Daldinia concentrica is called King Alfred's Cake. Or cramp balls. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> and it looks kind of like. Jump <laughs> I don't know. Wait, cramp, cramp balls. Cramp, cramp balls. balls? <laughs> You're going to have to spell cramp balls yeah. for me. Cramp? Uh, they look like. like they look it like looks like doo doo. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can see that. We can link to that. Balls. Yeah. Those are some cramp uh, balls. Definitely not a cake. Like, I was like, no, yeah. I was Who's looking King at Alfred? Other... Why is he eating this? Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> There have been very few cases of fungi in general discovered in relation to ancient humans, and oftentimes it's not possible to know like what they were using it for. But since these weren't edible, and some of them were actually burned, there was like evidence of carbonization, and they like clearly harvested them from around the area. They came from like different ecosystems and were like transported to this site. They think they're pretty confident that it was used for fire. And that it was a useful, helpful thing that people yeah. wanted. Hmm. Uh, Probably I could, if I was an ancient person, maybe I could specialize in that, trade those instead of, and, and then be like, and also I'll name the species after you. That'll be $20. <laughs> oh, wow. King Alfred. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> so King Alfred, I actually named it twice. I named it after King Alfred and after Cramp Balls. <laughs> Jeremy Cramp Balls. Back in the day, Cramp Balls was a perfectly legitimate <laughs> thing to name your child. <laughs> yep. 7,300 7, years ago, that, that was number one in the book of yeah, baby, baby names. names. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were naming them something. As an extra bonus fact, uh, apparently Utsi, the Iceman, yeah. is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some dried fungi on him. Nice. He had some cramp was balls. It cramp balls? Had, I don't know if it was cramp. I think it was a different species. Uh. Was there any legitimacy to this crotch fungus that I got suckered into? Not. Really, uh, they they did. There was an ancient Egyptian medical manuscript from four thousand years ago that suggested putting moldy bread on wounds. Yeah, and so sure. they 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 didn't give a lot of detail, but modern peoples are hypothesized that they were like harnessing the power of something similar to penicillin. Right, they were like aware um, of the yeah bacterial properties. Like, they didn't know about microbes, but if right. you put this moldy bread on a thing, sometimes that makes it better. I just changed it to genital warts because genital warts came up at some point in my research, and then I was like, yeah, all right. And then the pesticide one, we use them now. Um, I couldn't find any evidence of ancient people using them. Apparently, ancient humans used sulfur, arsenic, mercury, and lead as pesticides. Uh, and this was like maybe 4,500 years ago, up up to that long ago. Some of those sound like a bad idea. Yeah, Which are, yeah, not, yeah. not great. 
we all used to like paint our houses with arsenic. Yeah. So yeah. same line, difference. Like, yeah. Whatevs. Yeah, it was better than not having a crop, I guess. Yeah. If you didn't have a crop, everyone died. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you got lead poisoning, everyone <laughs> died, but like a longer time passed. So biopesticides are kind of a growing part of modern pesticide use, which includes pesticides based on fungi, bacteria, and other like plant-derived toxic things as sort of a push to move away from synthetic chemicals. And my first thought about this was like, isn't there potential to like infect humans with like the fungi or whatever that you're spreading? But but apparently like most fungi aren't harmful at all. But you just, I don't know, in common exposure, like like mold on the bread, I should not eat that. Just for clarity, you shouldn't eat moldy bread. You don't know for sure whether one of those things has produced some chemicals that are going to negatively affect you. And it won't necessarily, I don't think you'll like get colonized by and like be made sick by the little fungi themselves. Hmm. Fungi. But like they might have produced a chemical that will make you sick. Yeah. Uh. There are chemicals called mycotoxins, which is like the broadest word to say like fungus bad. (laughs) Bad thing. A fungus made this and you will puke. All right. Well, next up, we're going to take a short break and then to the fact off. Social Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's, there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot and now you can use you- that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S.
We're back. Hank Buck totals. We're all tied with uh, one. Ooh. Everyone's oh. tied. That's kind of good. Nice. I'm happy That's yeah, pleasant. let's just stay like this. Let's end the podcast. Let's walk out <laughs> okay. friends still. Or we'll do the fact off. Two of our panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow our minds. And the person who blows our minds the most will get a Hank Buck is basically how it works. And it's Sam versus Sari. The person who's going to go first is the person who can name the most edible mushrooms. Sari, go. Portobello. Sam. Crimini. Crimini? Crimini. I said a bunch of them at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) I know you did. Truffles? Yeah. Shiitake. Yeah. Uh... Hey, I got more button. Is that Button? one? Button is a mushroom. Is... White. I think that's a mushroom. White. I was about to say that, but I was like, that's just a color. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that means you failed. Yes, I think I lost. So I think I loser should go first. Okay, that's fine. So there was a weird phenomenon that was first reported in a pamphlet in 1872 and a paper in 1881 in Cognac, France, where the walls and roofs of buildings and even trees in one particular area of town were covered in a mysterious black grime. And then over the next century and some, we found similar black grimy residue on fences, street signs, cars, houses, and even stainless steel in suburbs like Shively, Kentucky, or Lakeshore, Ontario, or in places all over the world like the UK, Korea, Trinidad, Barbados. And we didn't, like, people who lived there were inconvenienced by this thing. But it wasn't until, like, the mid-2000s where people were actually concerned about it, being like, what? What actually is this thing? Yeah. Uh, Can we bring in a scientist to study it? And what all these places have in common is that they're all near alcohol distilleries making stuff like brandy or whiskey Mm. where liquid is fermented, packed into barrels, and like let to evaporate over time. So like chemicals evaporate off, including a not insignificant amount of ethanol. And when that ethanol meets cool, damp air, it's prime growing conditions for a particular type of mold that we now call whiskey fungus. It was previously called Terula compniacensis when it was first identified in France, but because of like the complicated field of mycology, um, that's an obsolete genus nowadays. And so like the researchers had looked back in time and they were like, they called it this one thing, but that doesn't exist anymore. This was just what everyone called right. black fungus. As you uh-huh. said in the beginning of the podcast, yeah. the taxa were fraught. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so nowadays, the the new scientist who studied it named it Bodwania compniacensis after mm. Antonin Baudouin, who is the director of agriculture and industrial chemistry of cognac, who discovered Ooh, this in the first place. Yeah, so he was like, cognac. this mushroom man <laughs> way back when discovered this. He was great. I'm going to name it after him. <laughs> yeah. And he paid him 40 bucks. Yeah. He yeah. Didn't pay him. <laughs> and then there was something in this, the Wired article that covered this, where they interviewed the current scientist and he was like, it's bad practice to name a fungus after yourself. So we had to find someone else to name it after. And plus, oh. I already have fungi named after oh. me. So like, wanted to spread the love. It was very funny. I was like, there's a whole uh, politics within yeah. mycologists. Your ideas sounded better and better. Yeah, it's, it's it's good practice. <laughs> it's good practice, ethical. Um, and so we don't know a lot about its characteristics, but it like coats walls and it, it looks like soot or something to me, like coating cars and coating walls of buildings. Is it damaging? It's just dirty looking. Okay. So it 
lowers property values and things like that, but it doesn't actively degrade the structures. It's just doing its thing. It's just sitting there eating the air. Yeah. And we don't know a lot about its characteristics, but scientists have done a couple studies on it. So it definitely grows better with ethanol than without. And they think that ethanol helps the fungus produce proteins that protect it against extreme temperatures and stress, which is how it can grow in so many different environments, like Mm. cold temperatures or hot temperatures or in the shade or in the sun, and then also kickstart its growth because Mm. when there's ethanol there, it grows faster and, and more robust. And so it's it's weird because it's the species of fungus that presumably has existed for millions of years and then has become adapted to a very human thing, which is churning out ethanol fumes in these very particular places because we mm-hmm. must have our liquor. Mm-hmm. We must. Um, and it's wild that there's so much ethanol that gets released in yeah. this process. Like, that's mm-hmm. the stuff you're trying to make. Yeah. Hold on to it. It's called The Angel's Share by Distillery, which oh, I think is kind of nice. Beautiful. Yeah, it's like, one for you, angels. Yeah. Pour one out. <laughs> Pour one out so that so that all of God's brethren can get crunk. Yeah. <laughs> Party with all that ethanol. Yeah. I don't know. Shrug. I don't drink a lot. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, I was... I could tell. Throughout <laughs> my whole life. Going back to the, the taxa are fraught thing, is, did they just, like, start over? I don't think they really are starting over from scratch. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like... God, yeah. this one doesn't make sense. All right, we'll switch it over. Yeah. It's a mess. That's true in all of taxonomy. Like, fungus, I think, is worse than most because it's just, like, hard for us to tell the difference, especially pre-genetic testing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the times it's like we we came up with a class name that covered two very, very different things. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. ooh, those things are actually less related than we thought. Mm -hmm. And so let's abolish that old name altogether and give them two new ones. Mm -hmm. So we got... Weird drunk mold. And now it's time for <laughs> Sam. Plastic. You ever heard of it? Mm, it's an incredibly useful super material that makes our lives easier and safer and more fun, like with Legos, in a lot of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> but it has one huge drawback, and that is it is basically immortal and uh-huh. it will be here forever. And recently, it seems more and more like people are becoming aware that clogging our oceans up with millions upon millions of tons of plastic isn't going to have a happy ending for Earth. Mm-hmm. But what do we do? Well, we could ask fungus for help. So late last year, the UN held the world's first State of the World's Fungi event. Oh, where... <laughs> I knew that the UN had a perfect premium thing. That was the one thing that everyone would finally agree that it was worthwhile. And here yeah. it is. Is there cosplay? <laughs> there probably were a lot, at least a lot of bad puns, I would guess, like yeah. mushroom-based oh, yeah. puns. They would have freaked out for your poem. <laughs> <laughs> so a team of scientists shared their results of a study of a species of fungus, Aspergillus tubingensis, that was isolated in a garbage dump in Islamabad, Pakistan, that seems to be able to break down polyurethane in weeks instead of decades. So the research is still super new, but it produces an enzyme basically that breaks down chemical bonds in plastic, and then its root system gets in there and breaks it all up. So they put it in like a liquid solution, and it broke apart plastic in a couple weeks, according to the study Mm -hmm. at least. But then research into plastic litter in other places around the world haven't turned this up. It's just kind of in that one place that they found so far. Mm -hmm. And they're having a hard time figuring out how to grow it reliably Mm -hmm. because it needs like a very specific pH and it usually only grows in the dirt. So getting it to grow on the plastic has been a problem, I think, so far. Uh, So it might be a while before it helps us at all. But their idea is that eventually they could integrate it into plastic 
So then oh, while they're manufacturing it, okay. and it would have like a self-destruct date, basically. Right, cool. right, right. Mm-hmm. I see. I was like, because what are you going to do, like crop dust the ocean with this stuff? <laughs> if they implant it in plastic, is it like like a time release capsule kind of a thing? Or is it just like... It starts eating day one, but it's like day 350 that it finally yeah. like starts to break down. But if you have like a slow-moving soda... I think we just have to recalibrate the way that we as human beings do stuff. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of different ways. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the ways where we will need to recalibrate. Yeah, There is this new soda that was... Long, or maybe it's a drink, I don't know. It's like at the gas station, and it was always there, but no one was ever buying it because it's just like it's a terrible shape for a bottle that mm. upsets me. The bottle looks very, very, very much like a sex toy. But like, I feel like it's always been there and it's never gone away. Yeah. So is it still all right (laughs) to drink that? Sarah's looking at the website right now. Yes. The bottle itself, phallic. The bottle Uh, itself, like straight up, it looks like a butt plug. You need a slightly more flared base to be safe, but like, much, <laughs> yes. I was the campus huh. medical like liaison and uh-huh. sex educator. So <laughs> you're like, do not use bottles as butt plugs. I mean, yeah, it might just slip in there and be and bad. Then it's, then it's forever. Well, then hospital. A hospital or or forever. Yeah, forever. Or just, just, yeah, you just know, forever because you'll die. Yeah. Well, if it had the fungus in it, it would just yeah. disintegrate eventually. No problem. Right Perfect. in the butt. Is this a tangent? This was a horrible one. I hated all of it. And it was all Hank's fault. It was all <laughs> my fault. Deeply my fault. Yeah. No, In no way was that at all related to the topic at hand. It got pretty close to being Sarah's fault, too. But at the- I'm surprised <laughs> you're not taking it from both of us because I did more talking during this. <laughs> I got so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah had a safety tip for butt plugs, which is that it should have a flared base. And that seems like a useful contribution yeah, we can't and not worth people. docking a point. All right. I don't think I was going to win this one anyway. <laughs> Do you even remember what my fact was? Yeah, your Plastics. fact, plastic is immortal unless you imbue it with Aspergillus tubingensis. And Sari... Yours was that there is really drunk fungus <laughs> around. Drunkest. Yeah, drunkest. Uh, I'll, I'll give it to Sam. Go on to Sam. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to say that, it, that the angel's share of ethanol getting consumed by a fungus is beautiful. <laughs> it turns out, does this mean that the, the weird fungus are the angels? And should oh. we be thanking them and like doing nice things for them? Yes. Yeah. I think at the state of the fungus, we should then create a <laughs> world religion around the fungus. The drungus. I, for one, worship the drungus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Please bless us. Yeah, please. It's a good podcast episode when you invent a religion. All right. Now it's time for Ask the Science Couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch of finally honed scientific minds. Stefan, what's our question? At Celta Volt asks, when parasitic fungi infect live animals and take over them, are they actually thinking about what their prey is doing, like actually puppeting them with a pseudo-nervous system, or is that something else? So there's there are fungi, uh, Ophiocordyceps, that infect insects mm-hmm. uh, and control their movements somehow. And the one that we've studied the most is in carpenter ants. And what this fungus does is it... Like infects the ants, makes them crawl up to a certain height, oftentimes like 25 meters, I think, grab onto moss or a leaf, and then just die there. And like, just never move again. And never move again so that the fungus can then grow out of their head and then spread spores. So it's like high enough up that the spores can can scatter and grow and things like that. Hit other right. Yeah. Ants. So it seems natural to think it would make a little fungus brain in there yes. that would tell you what to do. But... There have been scientists who have gone 
like slice by slice through zombified ants infected with this fungus <laughs> to see where exactly it went. And it went everywhere but the brain, which is very cool. So they surround the muscles and form a network around the muscles of the ant. That sounds like a neurosystem. Yeah. So I guess it's like sort of nervous system, but it's like a replacement nervous system that doesn't involve the brain at all. It just like controls the muscles. So it actually controls. I always just assumed that it like gave the ant some like signal, like gave it good feeling compounds until it got to a certain place and was like and it stopped and then it it would give it bad feeling compounds if it moved yeah. i mean sort of like taking a drug then like oh yeah. i just want to be really high right now yeah i need Boy, to I stand sure. on top of the roof Man, i feel like going <laughs> up 25 meters <laughs> yeah to some extent it probably is a chemical signal rather than a physical one or maybe a combination right. of sure. them where it's just like sprinkling stuff onto the muscles so like muscles go muscles go muscles go and then muscles stop it interfaces with the nervous system yes. of the ant. That's why. Which is very How does cool. see where it's going? So, like, the, the best quote that I found from a scientist was, we don't quite understand how parasites manipulate their hosts with such precision. So, scientists are even like, shrug? Right. We spent a lot of time studying this, and boy, do we not know. I could see there being something with, like, elevation, like, with pressure or something, like, the conditions there make the fungus produce a chemical that causes the ant to do this yeah. thing, and then when it gets to a certain height, that... But hard to sense height, specifically. If it was a, a light signal, that would be much easier. Mm. If, like, you go until you see a certain amount of light and mm. that's indicating where you are in the canopy, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. And it could be related to that, because another group that studies biological clocks found that this fungus has a separate biological clock from the ant. And the way that scientists study it is just like, what does the chemical composition of this look like over the passage of time and like over relative day, relative night? Mm -hmm. Um, And they found like cycles of compounds Mm -hmm. in it. So something to do with the passage of time probably Mm -hmm. has to do with how this fungus controls the ant, um, which makes sense with light exposure because it's like, okay, go up until... It's dark mm-hmm. because you're under a leaf or in moss. And then maybe it just makes it walk forward until it happens to go up a tree instead of aiming it. Who knows? Yeah, that that is like the big question mark and where I feel like it gets very dicey because no biologist is going to want to say, the fungus wants the ant to do this. Yeah. Because I guess the fungus end goal is to reproduce and like mm-hmm. spread spores. But... It's what the genes yeah. want, not what the fungus wants. Yeah. It's just, yeah. That's where the puppeteering analogy falls apart because it's not like the fungus is, I don't know, wants the ant to take five It's what the fungus so. does. It's not yeah. what the fungus wants. Yeah. We don't have a good way of talking about this. Yeah. Because I we just, just came up yeah. With we don't, we didn't. Well. <laughs> yeah. Sam's like, I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's like humans. We just do what we do, that's, not what we want. Well, yeah. the reason I know I'm not being controlled by a fungus is because I have no idea what I want. <laughs> and if a fungus oh. was controlling me, it would make me do the thing that was good for the fungus. Whereas I just am so confused. <laughs> the fungus angels want you to choose your own path. They've just given you this gift of life. Yeah. And now you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't really know. Kind we don't of. know, but this is more information than I had. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pseudo nervous system maybe is the best understanding that we yes. have of it. That's but that's uh, wild. it's wild. Yeah. yeah. That's that's mostly it. Is biologists think that this kind of control is like this is like beyond what neuroscientists have figured out how to do. Like uh-huh. this is 
Mm. Un- unseen in neuroscience before. If you want to ask the science couch your question, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we tweet out upcoming topics for episodes. Thank you to at Bree Beecher, at Jay Hobiek, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Final Hank Buck scores. Sari and Sam have come out on top, tied with two each. Wow. Stefan is third, and I'm zero because I had a weird energy drink <laughs> tangent that was really bad. <laughs> Sarah, you're on a hot streak. Oh. I am? Yeah. Ooh. Do you want to know the scores right now, the total scores? Tell us the scores, Sam. I have 49. Mm-hmm. Hank has 46. Oof. Sari has 44. Ooh. Stefan has 41. I'm slipping. Oh, I'm catching yeah. up. Right, yeah, we are. We're catching up to Sam, but yeah. like, he's still out of, he's been out in the head a lot, a long, long time. <laughs> wow, I can't that. <laughs> you need a mushroom nervous yeah. system. Yeah. <laughs> Put a slime mold in there. If you like the show and you want to help us, it's easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show. And we'll be looking at iTunes reviews for topic ideas for future episodes. So leave your topic ideas there. Second, tweet out your favorite moment from this episode to us. I love it when I see those. And if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell tell people people about about us. us. If you want to read more about any of today's topics, check out scishowtangents.org to find links to all of our sources and maybe some photos of weird mushrooms. Thank you for joining. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the amazing team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes, along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The zygomycota taxa of fungi, I'm not sure if this is the most current group name, grow in (laughs) herbivore poop, and they pop like squirt guns or little water balloons to spread their spores onto farther grass and continue the life cycle of being eaten, ending up in poop. And they accelerate extremely fast, which is like some of the fastest acceleration in nature, from 20,000 to 180,000 G, which is like faster acceleration than rockets need to break the atmosphere. And the speeds ranged from 2 to 25 meters per second, which isn't like that fast, but the acceleration is incredible. From 0 to 25 meters per second in an instant.